Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at Reconditioning HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the privilege of speaking with Ian Jeffries. Ian is an internationally renowned coach, educator, and author, an ex-professional rugby player where he played at the highest level for 15 years. He is regarded as a world authority in the development of speed and agility and conditioning for team sports. His game speed system of sports-specific speed and agility development, along with his ramp warm-up protocols, have revolutionized training in these areas and have been adopted by a wide range of coaches and organizations around the world. He is currently Professor of Strength Conditioning at the University of South Wales, where he coordinates all the university strength conditioning activities. He is also coached at the international level and consults extensively with several professional sports organizations around the world. Ian has worked with athletes, clubs, and sports organizations around the world, inclusive professional and national sports teams, sports governing bodies, and national sports associations. He has had an incredible career of contribution to his industry and sports through service, education, and authorship, all while being a husband and father. I'm honored to have him on the show today. Welcome, Ian. Thank you, Scott. It's a great privilege to be invited on. Well, you know what? I want to actually slap myself in the head for not uh, inviting you earlier because I really, um, you know, after meeting you, I got you to come down to a a speed summit of... uh, a few years ago now, oh, geez, time flies when you're having fun. It and, does, it? <laughs> <laughs> and I actually posted out this week, uh, my podcast out this week is J.B. Morin, who you met there. Uh, uh, Jean Benoit did a whole bunch of stuff on, on power and speed, and you did a whole bunch of stuff on speed for sport and multi-directional stuff. And we got to know each other a little bit there and had a really nice conversation. And, you know, I should have invited you on earlier, but it's actually... Oh, don't be silly. Well, it's it's kind of beneficial in some ways because um you know you're you're running now for president uh of the national strength and conditioning association which i think is really cool and uh i want people to know you know about you because you uh, who, who those who don't know you or do do know you but want to know more about you as the as the person and character you are so this this is the perfect uh, forum for that because that's what we investigate so thank you for coming on that was long-winded but thank you very much yeah, and it, it's it's a it's a huge privilege to be selected by the NSEA as one of the two candidates for the presidency, and it would be great to win, obviously. But you know, it, it, uh, Brent is another great candidate as well. And what I'd encourage members to do is is, is to exercise their democratic rights and vote. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we, we want this organization to move forward. The NSA, I think, has a huge role to play in our industry. And, you know, just the chance to, to be able to guide that development would be a huge honor. Awesome. Well, we'll get into why you're doing it and what how that all sort of came around with you a little bit later in the program. But first, I want to sort of start with, uh, you know, growing. you grew up in Wales, right? You're. A, I grew up in Wales. I'm one of those classic Welsh people who's never really left. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it, you, you could call it the graveyard of ambition, I guess, because uh, I've, I live... Uh, roughly about 10 miles from where I grew up in a real rural part of, of mid Wales, a, a part of the country that I've loved since I was a kid and it's given me everything. Mm-hmm. And I still feel blessed to be still living here and, and to raise my family in this area. 
It's, so what did, what did your uh, dad and mom do? Where did you have sort of the typical family with your mom being at home with bringing up the kids and dad working? And what was life like growing up for you? For a long time, yes. Um, I grew up as as I said in, the, in a small village of of about a thousand people. So it, it, it really is. I'm I'm, a, I'm the the classic small town kid. Uh, my dad was a school teacher. Uh, he had the dubious pleasure of teaching me uh, through my secondary school years. So that that kind of defines you to a large extent because you're whatever punishment you would get in school, you kind of know that if you ever got in trouble, it would double when when you go home. And uh, t- school teachers have ways of knowing whatever you're whatever dubious things you're getting up to, the, the message, especially in a small community, is, has kind of got home before you do. And when when you know your dad is waiting at the door, there's, there's trouble a-brewing. And my mum, she, uh, she did the classic thing of uh, bringing my, myself and my brother up until I was probably uh, starting secondary school. And then she took a job. We, we, we kind of needed the money a little bit. So I had the best of both worlds, I guess. In That's that amazing. respect. That's awesome. You know, it's funny, but in doing all the interviewing I've been doing for the last couple of years, it's kind of surprising how many guys and gals in strength conditioning had parents who were teachers. It's kind of a common thread, actually. Very, very neat. It, it is an interesting thing. And mm-hmm. what, I think it extends as well how many of the what I would call the older generation mm-hmm. of strength and conditioning coaches were actual teachers themselves at some point mm-hmm. in their career. So um, throughout mine, I've been a teacher, and I, mm-hmm. and I think it just it's a different perspective on on strength and conditioning. And interestingly, whilst we we've, we've got far more knowledge than we've ever had in in this profession, but if something has been lost in it, I think it is those skills of of the teacher mm. to, to, to some extent. So while things evolve, you know, sometimes in in the processes you can kind of lose some things that were originally good. But that's interesting what you say about uh, teaching backgrounds, and I think it it is something. Interestingly, with me, uh, my, my dad was one of six. Mm five of which were teachers. Wow. So we are really in a teaching profession and the, the next generation, my generation, probably about 60-70% of that generation of my extended family are teachers as well. That's so crazy. It's, it's, it, wow. Education is kind of there or thereabouts. It's very difficult to escape. Well, I'm going to keep sort of circling on, on your, your growing up a little bit, but I am interested actually in how – do you draw a distinction between teaching and coaching? Like what, what do you see as a difference between the two? Our sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com, is going virtual. The Reconditioning Level 1 has been turned into a complete online experience, and all the time-tested systems and processes are now available to you in 20 hours of online video modules and two virtual Zoom sessions. Reconditioning is a very powerful language and system of practice that brings the worlds of therapy and performance together in one complete package and helps you deliver the most powerful injury and performance solutions to your clients. Check them out at reconditioninghq.com today and join the reconditioning revolution. You know, I, I don't think there are that many differences. I, mm-hmm. I guess it really depends upon what your perspective of, of coaching is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if we look at coaching as a means of facilitating a person's growth, albeit mm-hmm. within a, a sporting context, then that's not unlike what a teacher would do. And I think that probably that more all-encompassing view of coaching mm-hmm. makes it quite analogous to teaching mm-hmm. in a way, rather than the more training, you know, the, the, where you're looking just physical competencies and performance scores, mm-hmm. etc. I think once you, once you look at it in that more holistic way, I think there is a great similarity between the skills of a great teacher and the skills of a great coach. 
Awesome. We'll unpack that a little bit more in in a bit. But um, so you obviously grew up playing sports. Um, did you play a lot, or did you get right into rugby right away, and that was kind of your passion? Oh, oh. I. Uh... I loved all sports. I was that classic kid who you just could not uh, keep off the sports field. Uh, or I, in I the classroom. I know. Probably the, the most vivid memories I have growing up is I would get out of the house early, as early as I could, and I would stay and we would probably we'd be doing track and field around the block in our estate we would be playing football we would be playing rugby we would be playing cricket in the summer we would be running all all kinds of things now not necessarily formal being in such a small community i i can't really remember playing formal competitive sports probably until i was about nine or ten there would be the odd school tournament but club sport where i was didn't really exist so it, it was kind of at nine ten eleven where i started to i'd say compete but up to then, I'd, I'd probably uh, have done so many different sports. I, I, my mum always says that uh, my dad was probably to blame for that. He was an ex-rugby player himself. And she said he would go missing every now and again. And all she would do was look out the window and he'd be there playing with us in the street and everything. So I guess it was inbuilt into me. Mm-hmm. But slowly but surely, rugby kind of took dominance i would guess i loved lots of sports it probably loved football as or what, what you would call soccer as, as as much as rugby but aptitude wise it was quite clear kind of coming 13 14 i was better at rugby and that together with the the family traditions of rugby was the sport you put the fa- a family who plays rugby you put a, a country that plays rugby mm. and i guess it was inevitable that i would be channeled slowly but surely down that route that's cool so how how do the the parallel universes of academia and and playing rugby sort of live together as you're growing up into college for you how does that all kind of unroll I guess I was fortunate in many respects. Some would say misfortunate, but um, rugby in those days. So I, I kind of I, I was getting into the game in the early eighties, and it was still amateur, even the top level. So you know your top international rugby players who had to have jobs in order to survive. You weren't officially allowed to gain any any monetary reward for, for playing rugby whatsoever. I say officially. There were, there were kind of sidelines and ways around it, but uh, there was no way you... <laughs> exactly. You could do, <laughs> there was no way you could live off it. Mm-hmm. So it was the norm that if you wanted to play rugby, you went through an academic process anyway. So I went to university. That was where it was... Whilst I was at university, I was spotted by... The club, I, I was at Swansea University, Swansea Rugby Club, one of the best in Wales. They spotted me playing there, invited me up. So it, it kind of grew symbiotically to, to a large extent. You didn't have to make a choice between academia mm. and professional sports. And I was probably at that level where that was a good thing mm. because I was your kind of, your everyday player was never going to be a superstar was never going to be on large contracts i made the team or i made the bench uh (laughs) some would say i had splinters in my backside because i made the bench too often in those (laughs) early years but it it, i didn't have to choose Mm. and for people like myself it meant that i was able to develop a career parallel to playing the game Mm-hmm. So that when I eventually retired from the game 15 years later, um, I'd already established a career. Mm. Whereas I think sometimes, especially someone like myself, who would have probably scraped by as a professional player, you're 15 years back when it comes to when you finish the game. Right. So some people say, you know, wouldn't you have loved it if you could have been a full-time professional and yes they were part of it I, I, I mean I love I always loved the training as you can imagine mm. but I also think that no it probably was the right thing for me 
at that right time. No, I would be guessing, but I'm, uh, I'm, you know, knowing the trajectory of the sport performance side of the world and training and all that stuff and the science and everything that came into it in the later eighties, more into the nineties and things. So were, were you kind of playing rugby and introduced to training on the side and then became a bit of a student of training and then sort of got into all that? Or was there somebody who was influencing your training and kind of sparked your interest in that? Like how does, how does that all sort of come together where you, you become a student of, of training for the game of rugby in some sense. Matrix Fitness is one of the largest commercial fitness brands in the world and one of the fastest growing in the industry. Their equipment and programs are used by athletes and coaches at all levels globally. COVID-19 has changed and will change so many things. During these uncertain times, Matrix's team of engineers have quickly put together its free home workout app and youth at home workout programs. With its launch just a couple of weeks ago, they now have first First responders, pro athletes, and average folks using the guide to help them with their daily movement. This is a great example of how Matrix strives to be the best fitness company in the world to serve people and communities is their goal. You can download their free app and see additional resources at Matrix Total solutions support.com that is https www.matrixfitnesssolutionssupport.com I think for large amounts of that early period, I, I think people considered me a bit of a freak mm. because rugby was very, very backward in those mm. days in relation to training. Mm. What people did was very much based on actually an endurance model, uh, an old track and field endurance model. We used to, we used to run. Mm. Pre-season training was running. And as you know, you've, you've probably been through this, this, the same time frame where weight training was was perceived as a thing only the, these odd people did. It was nothing to do with with athletics. It was nothing to do with uh, games such as rugby, which seems farcical now when you when you look at the shape of players and, and, and the way it's come on. But that was the norm. So mm. it, it, an interesting. Uh, person, I had to win over my dad in those initial stages because, as I said, he played rugby. Mm. His brother-in-law was an ex-Welsh international coach. There's no, so I used to do things, you know, crazy things. Even when I was uh, getting into it, about 14, 15, 16, um, hill sprints. I can remember him. My uncle came. In, There's no hills on a rugby field, for God's sake, boy! Why are you lifting those weights? What are you doing this for? <laughs> and, and you can imagine this coming from a national coach. And my dad listening, he said, "Yeah, I think you, you, you're going the wrong way now. You're getting, you're getting bigger." You, but slowly but surely. Now, I was doing stupid things. You know, I, I, I had nobody to guide me. So why, why did you believe in it? What was, what was the influence factor that got I, you into it then? It's, it's one of the – I was just searching for information. Hmm. And do you know you can get inspiration from the most ridiculous places? We had a comedian in Wales, uh, a guy called Max Boyce, and he, he, uh, he went on this – trip to America and it's, it's a program called Max Boyce meets the Dallas Cowboys and he sings a few songs and he trains with them <laughs> and I, not, a couple of years before I'd been given uh, an old rusty set of weights, now there was an old policeman who used to live next door to me and probably he was moving back to where he came from and you can imagine he's probably found these rusty weights. Oh, we don't. Nobody uses these. We don't want to take these. I'll give them to the kid next door. He's he's crazy. You know. So I can remember having these weights. And I'm gonna. I know what I do with this, but I'm gonna find out. And a lot of your listeners won't realize that there was a time where the internet didn't exist. So I can remember sending for all these magazines predominantly to the States. And it was where I started to find out about, ironically, the NSCA, mm. because I used to wait and, and pour over these magazines and try things out. Now, 
as you can imagine, I did stupid things. Some of the stuff I, <laughs> I tried was, was, was downright crazy. But and then I can remember this Max Boyce meets the Dallas Cowboys. And they, what he did, he trained with all of the different positions. And one of the features that was pervading right the way through it was strength and conditioning. Well, I didn't know what the hell it was called then. You mm-hmm. know, strength and conditioning was just strange words to me. And I'm thinking, yeah. Now, I started to do this. And you start to see the changes in your body. You get bigger. You get stronger, but critically, you, I started to get faster, mm. and that started to win over people who think maybe this kid ain't as dumb as he looks. <laughs> and interestingly, we started to develop kind of a coaching group. Even at that young age, mm. I think the coach in me was was always coming out. And then slowly but surely, as I went through my rugby career, you could see it become established. But it wasn't just for nuts cases. This was something that every player mm. should be doing. Mm. Now, what's strange, I guess, is that whilst you could say a lack of a formal education in this stuff is a disadvantage, in many instances, it's been an advantage. Because it gives me so many experiences to relate to. Right. Of so I'm still one of these people who, if I see something, right, let's try that out. Let's see what that feels like. It's still my mindset. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm a decrepit old cronk now, but I still actually try things out on myself first, and. and as I said, sometimes disadvantages and advantages go go one and the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you actually. It's interesting because a lot of a lot of the sports uh, when you like I have obviously a more of a North American uh, background in in you know the performance training side of the supporting of all these different sports. Obviously, football, uh, American football, was kind of a purveyor of strength conditioning early on. Guys got into lifting weights, and there was a real genesis of that in the seventies and early eighties, uh, where you know that that was kind of the the world of strength conditioning started to blossom. Um, but in a lot of the other sports called basketball, baseball, hockey, which are the other big ones in North America, they didn't really have that happen until later eighties, early nineties, really, when that started sort of getting, you know, pulled into. And the interesting thing that I noticed was that in football, you had a lot of guys who played football who became strength and conditioning coaches. So there was kind of a natural um, understanding of the game, but that didn't sort of happen as, as naturally in hockey and basketball. You had a lot of guys who played football or were strength conditioning coaches who kind of got assigned to, or got the job with the hockey team or the basketball team or the baseball team that's changed over time, but that was kind of in the early phases. And I'm just interested in, if you think back the advantage you had in having played the game and then learning and experimenting with training so that you really understood, this is what I'm learning about training and I'm playing with it, but I also know what, what, what I really do, what we really do in the game and what the demands are and how, how, how did that influence your development and your knowledge? It's, it's been huge. And I think what it does, it just gives me a different perspective. Mm. So my natural perspective is to go to the game first, Mm. to have a look at, okay, how does this apply? And and this has driven my uh, game speed program that that I developed. And and that very much came from seeing what was coming out from a more theoretical perspective and thinking, well, I'm not really sure how much of that actually applies to what we do in the game. How can I manipulate some of these factors and make them more relevant and probably just add things in that probably wouldn't naturally be considered from a theoretical background. But when you understand what a player needs to be able to do in the game, you, you, you can understand the drivers behind the movement patterns, what they're trying to achieve there. So I, I'd say that that has probably been the biggest blessing I've had. And some would say the biggest curse that I've had. Mm. It, but it is just, 
I, I think the value in perspective is huge because one of the things that I think is is increasingly happening is that people are and just, don't get me wrong, the, the new generation of coaches are far, far more knowledgeable on the theory than I will ever, ever be. But perhaps the perspective is that little bit narrower hmm. than what I would bring. So I, I guess what, what it's forced me to do, I'm, I'm much more of a generalist than I ever will be a specialist. And my knowledge of, of specific areas is probably, you know, in, in your realm you, you, you'd see me as some kind of uh, ignoramus but I, I think it's the breadth that it's given me mm. so that I can look at it from a number of, of, of avenues and, and say mm, yes yeah, sounds good but I'm not really sure how we're gonna win athletes over Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I like. I actually liked about when I met you and, and in chatting with you is uh, I said in a presentation I did about myself a while ago that I'm not, I don't really consider myself a scientist. I consider myself more of a pragmatist. So I look at wh- how, how does the science and the, the way we do things, how does it pragmatically fit into the spectrum of what it actually is that we do, you know, and sometimes this might be the right thing to do, but it doesn't really fit into the... <laughs> the foundation of how you operate, you know? What's in your ZNA? That is a question our sponsor Zenkai Sports asks for you. Are you interested in increasing your performance output, helping the environment, and doing less laundry? If you answered yes to any of those questions, please go to ZenkaiSports.com and check out the latest innovation in performance apparel. Zenkai uses cutting-edge technology that repels sweat and other liquids. Zenkai Apparel lets the sweat stay on your skin, keeping your cooler for longer and repelling odor-causing bacteria. This means Zenkai apparel can be worn 10, 15, 20 times with no washing required. I would highly recommend trying this amazing product, and I've teamed up with them so you can get 20% off your entire order. Just head over to ZenkaiSports.com and use the discount code LYM20. And that's, that is, I would consider myself very much a pragmatist. I don't necessarily look for universal solutions mm. because I'm, I'm not really convinced that they exist mm. in, in our field unless we take context into consideration. I think sometimes we can try to force a square peg into a round hole. Mm-hmm. And the square peg in itself, in isolation, may be fantastic, but it just doesn't fit the context. Right. And so much of sport is built on relationships mm-hmm. and you you know we, we probably know well we've seen so many instances where that square peg has been jammed in and it has spoiled every single relationship to such an extent that there is no way that you can get any success mm. out of it and, and I think that's probably another thing that I've got from being an athlete, being a coach and being an educator is I've seen the other side of it. Mm. I've seen situations where somebody has come in and said, I'm not listening to you. We're going to do it this way. And I've seen the, the results of that. You know, when, when you're in a group of athletes, you see how important that coach-athlete relationship is. Mm. And sometimes seeing it from both sides is, is, is quite a useful factor when you consider what your, what your best course of action is Absolutely. as you, yeah. as you move forward. Well, I wanted to play off that big time because uh, of you, the spectrum of your background. One of the things I've found since the advent of let's call it the sports science community and the industry that sort of underpins performance support of teams and individual athlete um, preparation is there's still and you don't see it as much in the sports where the coach. And this is kind of in having conversations with guys like uh, Stu McMillan, Dan Paff, et cetera, where they're coaches of track athletes who also do what the the strength and conditioning, sort of the whole spectrum of the performance yeah. paradigm. But when when you talk about team sports like rugby or 
football, et cetera. Usually you have your rugby coaches and then you have a strength coach and a therapist and all these people are sort of plugged in the IST team or whatever everybody calls. And I'm interested in your viewpoint as to how the coach interfaces with that environment and vice versa better. So how do, how do the people who have the science and the knowledge and all this stuff do a better job of, of practically injecting that information to the coach so that the coach can digest it and isn't um, turned off by it. What have you seen as, as what have been some of your strategies for getting connected to your coach and making, having those great conversations about, yeah, we're going to change practice because of such and such and such, or we're going to change what we're doing now because of what we've learned about our players, you know, moving forward, et cetera. I'm just really curious about that. I think it's an interesting one because when, when you hear people say it hasn't worked, quite often the blame, our oh, coach doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. Doesn't understand. As soon as you say that, you have to take blame for that. Mm-hmm. Because if the coach doesn't understand what you're trying to do, to a large extent, that means you haven't done a good enough job of selling what you're doing to the coach. Mm-hmm. If we have actually have a look at underpinning what a coach wants, they want to win right. at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can explain how what you do helps them win, then I don't think any intelligent coach, unless, unless you want some radical change, but I think the initial thing is, how can I help you win? What do you need? So, so my approach, you know, when I've gone into clubs has always been, what's the easiest sell? And interestingly, the easiest sell has invariably been, for me, the speed and agility work. Hmm. Because you, you, you say you're a soccer coach, a, a, a football coach, and I say to you, I think... I can help your players. I'm not going to try to influence their tactical, their technical work. That's yours. But I think with, with a little bit of time, I can help your athletes move more effectively, jump more effectively, add that little bit of speed that will help them offensively, defensively. What coach is not going to at least think, hang on, okay, Tell me a little bit more. Hmm. What do you need? And I think the art of communication in understanding what the goal of the coach is and aligning yourself as closely as possible is absolutely crucial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes we focus on methods. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want Without focusing on how it helps. Hmm the overarching goal. And if you can do that and then layer on progressively, and, and a lot of it ultimately comes down to trust. Right. So I, I can remember when, when I worked with the, uh, with the Welsh schools rugby team, and it was an interesting situation because the, the, the Welsh schools were a separate organisation. They weren't run by the national governing body. I was appointed by the national governing body. So I was kind of from the enemy. I was from the other side. So now initially I could see the suspicion and they were lovely guys. These, these guys were really great. They were, they were school teachers who were running the national team. I was the, the infiltrator, the, the WRU guy who, 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 who came in to do this. Are we, as we used to be called fitness coach um, in, in the, in the olden days. And, I can remember going to the first session and now these kids used to come, they used to come once a week on a Sunday. They used to arrive at nine and they used to leave at around three-ish. Now, when I first got there, my job was to take them at three. I asked the coach, what do you want me to do? I'll beast them. 
just beast them. Tell them, show them what fitness is at this level. And I thought, ah, great. This is going to be, this is going to be interesting. They're going to be wanting to go home. They'll have finished their rugby at three. And then they're going to come over to the fitness coach. Immediately, I'm going to be the most hated person on that because not only am I stopping them going home, I'm giving them the stuff they really don't want to do. So at that point, what I did was played some games, played some conditioning games, and got a little bit of buy-in. The, kid, the kids enjoyed it, and, and the coaches started to enjoy it. But as I built that relationship, it was, right, what else can I do? And it was quite clear that when they arrived, they didn't want to warm the kids up. They wanted to plan their own tactical sessions. So I said, what about I take that off you then? Yeah, okay. Fantastic. So suddenly I had my little in. Now, that's where I said, right, what, could, what would you like? Or can, can you do a little bit of speed work with them? Yeah, no problem. That, that started to grow. Now, once I started to develop that trust, I could then expand my role. What I also used to do, now it, it sounds maybe a little bit sly, but... Um, when the rest of the sessions were going on, if we had done something in the warm-up and I could see it happening on the fields, oh, we practiced that. Yeah, you did, didn't you? I became part of the team. I became trusted. In the end, I can remember there was, Ian, how long do you want for the warm-up? I said, 20 minutes. Do you want 40? Well, if, you're, if I can have 40, fantastic. <laughs> uh, but what it was, was getting on the same wavelength of them seeing that we were in this together, building the trust, and then slowly building the, the kind of the circle of influence mm. to, to some extent. And I think sometimes what we're not sufficiently patient. Rome wasn't built in a day. And relationships are absolutely crucial to practice. And if we break those, we're not going to be successful. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Um, when was the first time that you came came to North America to 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 learn from from people over in the in the states or whatever? Matrix Fitness produces training equipment that focuses on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike, with equipment that focuses on building speed, power, and explosive performance in the most efficient manner. Matrix has partnered with some of the top sporting organizations worldwide. As a global brand with local support, the Matrix Performance team assists their customers with solutions, research, and training protocols so coaches can focus on what they do best, help athletes prepare for competition, and get better. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Matrix Fitness Canada for the latest updates around the success stories that document what makes Matrix unique as an equipment manufacturer. Now, I, I've been a member of the NSEA for, for many, many years, but I can remember the the first conference was Orlando, two th year 2000. I had retired from rugby in 1998. Prior to that, it was very difficult. Pre-season was starting, I was still in work mm. and all those things. It was very difficult to get to the conferences. I'd always seen these things and that one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. And that was my first time. Mm. And I was like a kid in a sweet shop. Every uh, every presentation, I was in making notes, and and trust me, it was one of the best learning experiences I've had, and I've never missed one since. So really? it's ironic with the with the cancellation this year. Um, this will be the first one I've missed in, in in a large number of years, and then slowly become active in the organisation sit in with a high school group, help contribute some stuff uh, to their work, then write a couple of articles and, and, and slowly but surely integrate what I was learning in the States, which was a fantastic learning experience because it was a completely different way of looking at strength and conditioning. It saved me years and years of, of mistakes because I could chat with high school coaches, college coaches, and you, oh my God, wow, that's, 
and, and, and utilize that in my practice. Mm. So that was the first time that I'd, I'd visited the States to learn. Mm. How did you, um, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of experimentation, but, you know, the early days um, of, of some of the information you would have gotten, again, would have had a bias towards football, which the interesting thing about football and rugby, uh, you know, football is really a game of inches where everything is, in essence, very linearly directed. There's cutting and change of direction, but for the most part, everybody wants to go one direction. Whereas rugby has a lot more of a flow to it that there's this there, everybody's trying to get down the field, but they're also having to manipulate direction, play with a lot of, you know, the ball. Um, it's, it has a different energy to it and different energy systems. So how, how were you able to transfer what you were learning about speed and, power and all that stuff into kind of how it fit into in the rugby world going back to what we talked about with your work with the coaches so you go to a conference yeah. you get all these cool drills now you come back you want to experiment but you also don't <laughs> you don't want to have everybody go who the hell is this wing who now? is this idiot <laughs> um yes i've been to i've been called that many times you don't have to start man. um <laughs> interestingly what what and I, I kind of anticipated this to, to some extent it was the missing link because Europe had been a very uh, exercise physiology based approach mm. to fitness so there, so we had uh, vo2 max obsessions we we had to evolve mm-hmm. and what what I always found interesting, in those early NSEA conferences were how many coaches from Australia and New Zealand there were. And I always used to kind of decry, why aren't there more British coaches here? Because at that point, they were leaving us well behind in the world of rugby. We were falling behind so much so that there became a realization that we had to, to radically change our philosophies. So the strength and power parts were natural fits. Mm. I probably, when I look at my career, I probably went, when I was small, when I was a young kid coming in, I never felt I was fast enough. Mm. I was very elusive, relatively small, um, but always wanted to get faster. And that search for linear speed was both my, my blessing and my curse, because my blessing that I learned that, yes, you can get faster. My curse to, to some extent is that I forgot what I was good at. Mm. When I look back now, I just went, oh, when I look at the stuff that I do, it's what I should have been doing a lot back then. Mm. So it, it, it's interesting how you, you can often learn lessons from mistakes that you made. Mm. But, you know, I, I, I became a, a qualified track coach in my quest for, for more linear speed. Mm. towards the end of my career when I, I, again, I guess I should have known better by then I could start to see how integrating all of these components was was absolutely critical mm. and you, you know rugby has probably gone on a huge path of education in, in, in terms of I don't know if I could even play the game these mm. days too small, too slow. Um, so whilst I loved it then, in, in, in a way, strength and conditioning may have been the end of me as, as, <laughs> as a player because the game is played by monsters who are fantastic athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody asked me once who I thought were were the best all around athletes in sport, and I said I I thought rugby athletes probably. When you look at all the different attributes you have to play, have to play that game, it's pretty much every athletic attribute you could you could name pretty much. So it's it's a pretty impressive sport at its highest level for sure. Here again with another word from our sponsor Zenkai Sports, the new disruptor in the performance apparel world. Zenkai uses a brand new technology that repels liquids, keeping you cooler during intense activity as the sweat evaporates naturally off your skin. This allows athletes to regulate body temperature easier and push themselves harder as we harness the power of our sweat. Sweat is our friend. Keep it on you. Zenkai Sports is also 
the only performance apparel company which is cotton-based. All of their gear is over 65% cotton and some pieces over 95%. Cotton is biodegradable, feels great against our skin, and is much better for our environment than synthetic-based apparel. Please go to ZenkaiSports.com for more information and for 20% off your entire order. Just use the discount code LYM20. Um, I'm just wondering when you got the bug to, because you're a good, you're a great sharer of information. When did you get the bug of going beyond academic teaching to, I'm going to go to the NSCA conference and teach, and I'm going to share my methodology of practice. And, um, you know, some people shy away from that sort of, these are my, these are my gems or my, uh, my secret sauce to success and others flourish in, in sharing that or, and don't really fear sharing that you seem to be in that latter category. When did you get that bug and why? That's an interesting one. I, I, when I look back at, at my career, as I said, even in my late teens, early twenties, we were, people would come and train with myself, my brother, and, and so on. So, so I guess to, to a large extent, I've always been prepared to share. Mm. And right throughout my career, people have always asked me questions. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And, and I've, I've always been happy in saying, well, this is why maybe it comes back from this uh, <laughs> uh, questioning that I had from, from my family as to why I was doing things. And I always needed, or felt the need to develop a reason that I could, I could explain this is why. So, so maybe, you know, subconsciously that that's always been a part of it. One of the things I always found interestingly was that I needed to clarify my own thoughts. And the easiest way I always found to do that was by writing. Mm. I just found by, by just trying to put things down in a, in a neat, concise manner, help me clarify my thoughts, but mm. also gave me a medium by which I would share. So even in the old days, I was producing uh, sheets of information, little booklets. I mean, I'd look at them now, they're up the attic somewhere. And, you know, oh my God, gee, where... I, why the hell did I do that? But I think it was an attempt to clarify and then and, and an attempt to share. So even before, you know, formally, formally publishing things, I was always producing these booklets that I would give to players and, you know, to try to give them the information that they wanted. And, and I, I think one of it, part of it as well, is, is when you're a small-town boy, you want to facilitate other kids from your area to be able to to go on and do that so one of the you know my favorite parts of my own career was when I took a job at my local further education college and we set up uh, a sports academy what we called it then it was a ragtag and bobtail attempt to to give our kids as, as, as I'll call them advantages and it was really successful but what was great to see kids from our area who probably wouldn't have had chances go on and many of them achieved the highest level of sport. And that's one of the proudest things I've ever done. Mm. That's awesome. I was going to ask you how, you, you know, in reading your bio, you've obviously achieved a lot, done a lot, uh, written a lot, uh, et cetera. How have you been able to balance that with being a dad and being a husband? And, you know, has, has that been a challenge at times? And how have you overcome that challenge and, and been able to be a, a good, good papa and stuff? Well, I guess I'm not the best person to answer that. You'd have to get my my son and my wife in here, who who probably may disagree with uh, <laughs> with what my answer is. I hope the answer is yes. And yeah, you know, I was listening to your uh, podcast with with Brett. Uh, I think it was last week's, mm. and he talked about the mountains. Mm. And one of the interesting things with me is, is whilst I coached nationally, it was at a, at a junior level. So I never, despite having a few offers, numerous offers, I never took that jump into pro sports. And part of me 
there's always a nag that you think, well, maybe I should have. <laughs> but actually, when I reflect, it is probably the best thing that I ever did mm. because it's allowed me to progress in my own manner. Right. So most, I've always had the choice. So when I've gone in and worked with teams, I've always had that ability to step away. I've always had my ac academic life backing things up, which has allowed me to have that balance. And as I said, where I live is the graveyard of ambition. There's only certain things you can, you can do around here, but I wouldn't swap it for the world. Uh, so I've been able to see my son growing up. He had the dubious pleasure of having me as his soccer coach for, for five years. And that's another thing that, you know, I've been a rugby coach, I've been a, been a football coach. And again, seeing it from that perspective helps you as a strength and conditioning coach. Mm. Because you, that's why I probably understand that there isn't that much difference between what we want out of things. We just go about achieving it in a, in a slightly different manner. What would be your, your advice to somebody, uh, a, a younger pro professional who's getting involved with a sport that maybe they haven't played? Um, you know, going back to that earlier conversation that we were having uh, to better, to sort of better position themselves and maybe have that, that build that trusting relationship that you were talking about. Um, you know, how would you recommend they do that in some sense, if that makes any sense to you? Yeah, it, it makes a huge amount of sense. Somehow, and I don't think there is a right or a wrong way, they have to understand the sport. They have to get immersed in the sport, its culture, its, its ways, be, because that helps... What are the players about? What, what is their driver? What, what are the coaches? You know, how do they put all of this stuff together? What, what's there just because it's always been there? But understanding how that stuff has come because it, it's all too easy to go in and criticize something and want change, and then you don't realize that this was set up because. And you've just crossed the boundary. So, so I think there's, there's two parts. There's understanding the elements of the sport, but there's also understanding the elements of the situation that you're going in. Mm. And you know, a lot of my writing at the moment is, is focusing on what I call the ecosystem, mm. where there are so many interacting pieces in any organization. And unless you understand how those interact, it's very difficult to make intelligent decisions hmm. that you don't break relationships. And I go back to my, uh, my time as a player, kit men, physios. If you want to know what's going on in the organization, ask them hmm. quite often because that's who the players will talk to. Mm -hmm. So players on the on the treatment bench, oh bloody hell, I'm feeling rough today. God damn, what the hell are we doing in on a Sunday? It, it's it's getting the feel of an organization in non-traditional ways. That 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 that's a difficult one for a mm -hmm. for a young coach to do, but is to listen to as many people as possible. Mm. And I think if I look back on, on, on my career and, and, and I think a big mistake that, you know, at our university, we have a lot of young coaches coming out and they're lured by the internships, by the opportunities with the professional organizations. Sometimes the best learning experiences as a young coach are with smaller organizations where you're more responsible for things. Because what I find is, is when a young coach goes with a big organization, they end up doing the menial tasks. They don't get involved in the decision-making. They don't really understand what's going on. Whereas sometimes when they're in a smaller organization and they have to play a role, they learn a lot more. Mm -hmm. yeah, like but that. then on paper, on your CV, the internship with the big organization looks good. Yeah. 
You got to balance it. You got to balance it. It is. Yes. I'm going to take this opportunity to read you your purpose. So you, you are a Leo too, born August 20th, correct? Yeah. So you're not going to give a year of birth away now. No, I didn't give it, but (laughs) just slightly older than me. So that's a, that's good Uh, purpose to use your imagination, sensitivity and wounds as strengths to not be lured by the spotlight or discouraged by rejection, to determine your own creative and independent style, which you generously share with others, giving them the courage to expose their weaknesses and use them as strengths. Challenging the established rules is necessary to awaken our creativity. Roger Von Osch. The weakness of the moon gets support from the relentless will of the sun. Leo twos are hot stuff and they know it more flexible than other Leos. They are also persistent, creative and competitive. Leo twos are hard to reach emotionally. They're loners who know how to use their strengths and weaknesses as a means to an end. Struggling between childish insecurities and weaknesses is, is sorry. And, and mature and courageous actions. Their goal is to be responsible for themselves and to have the faith to take risks. Their charisma is powerful and others will be attracted to them. Since the moon represents the family, the Leo is our desire to succeed. There could be a conflict between having a family and pursuing a career. Leo 2's instincts are highly tuned, and if they listen to them, they'll know when to ask for a raise and when it's time to retire. When Leo and the two work and Leo and the two work together. Everything is right. However, more often than not, these two powerful forces make life either too competitive and demanding or too isolated and self-absorbed. The two is able to heal through the experience and understanding of pain. The Leo twos can use their feelings of rejection and desire for recognition in a way that will bring peace they can share. There you go. Wow. Wow. Interesting. There were quite a few... uh... Very interesting. Nuggets there. Some nuggets there. (laughs) Interesting, probably the bit that has changed is, yes, I'd I'd still say I'm competitive, but I've tamed that Mm. to a large, uh, I'd say I'm in in a relatively contented place at the moment. Mm. Well, you Uh, you were talking about what Brett said about the second mountain there, sort of... uh, you're, you're in the Brett podcast about the mountains that yes, you climb in the that's right. Sort that's of in right. Second, yeah. Yeah. So what? Well, maybe some say I was in that kind of the the hammock in between, just laid back, <laughs> relaxing. <laughs> so what is your inspiration now at this point in your life to get involved at the highest level of uh, sort of stewardship of the National Strength and Conditioning Association? Why Why do that at this point in your life, and what are you motivated? to to sort of achieve in doing that? I thought long and hard about it. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed my time on as a director on the board of directors of the organization. And yeah, I took a year out after that. And obviously the election came out. And as I said, I thought long and hard and finally decided to take the plunge. It's that... Going back to what you said about the Leo, sometimes you have to step out of your comfort zone and, 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 and take the risk. Mm. I think the NSEA is a great organization, but I still think it can be better. I think it needs to reach a wider cross-section. It produces some fantastic research, but it still needs to bridge that gap. And when I looked at my own perspective of being an educator, understanding the needs of coaches, having been one and still consider myself very largely a coach, being an athlete, I think I encompass that whole bridging the gap focus that the NSEA wishes to achieve. Mm. And that allows me, I think, and and similar to, to building relationships with the coaches, I think I've got that capacity to talk to all of those groups and one of the things that I really want the NSA to do is, it, yes, it needs to be internally focused, but I think it also now needs, it needs to drive the profession. It mm-hmm. needs to be externally focused. It needs to talk to people like yourself, you know, the experienced practitioners who may not necessarily always be NSEA members. There are, you know, wonderful coaches in our organization that aren't involved and find out why. What is it that 
the industry, the profession needs, if we are really to, to achieve the status of, you know, athletic trainers, physiotherapists, and so on, I still think all too often the strength and conditioning coach is at the bottom of the ladder. Mm. You know, when we look at pay structures, when we look at job security, when we look at professional opportunities, why is it that we, we're still not moving rapidly enough at that so that we are acknowledged for the skills and the professionalism that we have Hmm. And that it's really a strength and conditioning coach is indispensable. It is one of the first rocks that is put in, not just in your classic American football and rugby, hmm. but in any sports organization. And also to expand that, you, you, know, you know, when I look at the, the potential of strength and conditioning for youth athletes, for schools, it's huge. And I think we've really got to drive the organization. And the NSA is one of the, the few organizations, I think, that has the global reach to be able to do that. Mm. Cool. And, mm. you know, I'd love to, be, to have the opportunity to, to look into that and to drive that forward. Beautiful. It's nice to know uh, someone of your character is interested in doing uh, that job. It's, it's kind of funny because I said at the start uh, I didn't intend for – the podcast to be about your um, decision to become, you know, or be, to, to no, put I, your I, name I don't in the for that. Yeah. yeah that, that's but it. I thought it would be interesting to, to get your take on, you know, why you wanted to go there. Because, no, and, and, and thank you for asking. Yeah. What, um, you know, you, you will unfortunately, like all of us, perish from the earth one day, but uh, hopefully not for a long time. But what, what would hope you, not, what, unless what, you know something that I don't. Right. What, what would you hope people remember you for, or how would you like them to remember? Uh, I just hope they remember me as a, uh, a man who helped others, oh. a man of integrity, uh, and a good friend. Mm. And a good friend and mentor, I guess. It, 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 it's difficult. It's, I, I don't think it's the achievement. It's not the athletes that we work with. It's not the uh, ultimately the, the physical capacities that, that we develop. I, I think it's the people mm. that we develop. One of the proudest things, you know, and I, again, I look back to the time I spent in my, my local area. Some of those went on to great uh, athletic achievements. But others... I work, some of them are working professional sports, some of them are school teachers, some of them uh, are PhDs. And what's great to see is how they've developed as people. And I think sport and strength and conditioning is, has a huge role to play in that. It, it's, it's got a huge value in developing people. Mm. And I think that's where I'd like to be remembered as, as, as somebody who cared and somebody who helped other people achieve their own dreams awesome perfect way to finish sir it was wonderful to reconnect with you uh wish you the best with uh what's ahead and uh, hopefully our paths will cross and a beer will be drank or two or two maybe yes not that welsh not that welsh people drink at all never at all. <laughs> or, no, thank you or... thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure <laughs> and i hope i haven't rambled aimlessly <laughs> No aimless round. No, it was perfect. It was wonderful. Thanks, Ian, for taking the time. Have a good Thank day. Thank you, Scott. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. All right, sir. Have a good day. We'll take we'll talk to you again. And Thank good you. luck was with the that was perfect. It was wonderful. That's exactly yeah. what I yeah, love that. I mean, it's just I think people get so much out of these, you know, that's the feedback I get from people is that they get so much out of just hearing people's, you know, experiences and the story that got you to think the way you think, you know, and, and loved what you talked about around, uh, you know, connecting with coaches and, you know, bringing, you know, learning and taking the time to build trust, the, the huge, huge stuff there for sure. Ah, uh, thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, buddy. I really, I really, and thanks for the support with the NSA. That's that, that's great. You have, obviously, in a, in a democracy, every vote counts similar, but you know that certain ones mean mean a huge amount, and, and yours certainly does. 
Cool. Well, I'll, po- I'll post that out next week and hopefully it helps you get over the top and uh, hopefully we bump into each other at the next NSCA conference. I haven't gone in a while. I have to, I have to, uh, my wife and I were talking about that. I don't know where next year's is supposed to be, but it would be fun to get there. Orlando, I think is the next Orlando? one. Orlando? Okay. Yeah, I think so. I always like going to the one in Vegas. So. <laughs> I know. And this year was Caesars. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I was going to do, I, 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 I was down as a, as a speaker. So I was going to say, I played Caesars. But <laughs> not to be, not one to of, be. One of my worst drunken endeavors stories was at an, an NSCA conference 25 years. It was probably in 95 or something. I'm in Vegas with a buddy of mine and, and my wife at the time, who is now my ex-wife. But we we're party. We go to the, the pool bar at the Tropicana and get one of these these drinks that they're this high with a big bottom like they're like a bottomless drink or something and they they pour booze all the way to the top and then put a little bit of coke in it you know so we drink one we're sitting by the pool let's go get another one get another one i am just right hammered at 6 p.m like just crushed walk through through the casino you know stumbling with my flip-flops get into my room (laughs) next morning i wake up i'm like torched like bad and i have to get up and do an agility workshop i'm not teaching but i'm participating (laughs) there's no way i'm doing this uh do you do the problem with vegas was as you walk as you stumble through the casino you didn't look out of place (laughs) (laughs) well i was in vegas for this for the uh nsca conference the year that um Holyfield fought uh, Tyson when 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 Tyson bit his ear. Oh wow! Yeah, that was during an NSCA conference. It was hilarious. Like uh, you, I was at the hotel where they were watching it, and all these people come running out after. And I and we we were at the tropic. Actually, it's the same that that same year. And I'm looking down, and there's like that's quite the year you had. Been. Yeah, that was a little crazy. That one. <laughs> all right, sir. Well, you have a great uh, day. Man. Take it easy. Thank you so much. Take, take care, and Bye-bye. hopefully we'll catch up soon. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de saint Rome.